Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 119. So I am trying something new here. I am actually recording this podcast episode and also doing a video for it as well. So if you're listening to this on iTunes or on Podbean and you have an opportunity to also check it out on YouTube, my YouTube channel, it'll just be a way for you to consume this content in viewable format if that is something uh, that you prefer over just the audio. The other thing that it allows you to do is much more easily write questions down. You can post questions to this video uh, and you can also leave comments. So I have for some time posted my audio podcasts on my YouTube channel. And I thought it would be fun to actually do some video for it as well. And I know as a podcast consumer, I listen to lots of podcasts and it can sometimes be cumbersome to leave a question through uh, the iTunes format. And it's much easier to leave a comment or question on a YouTube video. So I do hope that you take advantage of this um, this new format. And again, if you're listening uh, through just a podcast application, you can now know that you can also come and watch it. So if you've never seen me, here I am. <laughs> and um, I'm here in my home office in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, where I live. And today what I wanted to do is cover a couple of, of different things. We're actually going to, after I do a short intro, we're going to segue over to a pre-recorded video that I taped last week with um, one of the teachers in my signature program, the Blueprint Learning Program. And I'll go into a little bit about what that's about when I get there <laughs> in terms of what we're gonna cover today. One of the things I wanted to start out talking to you about is um, if, if you weren't in the loop, uh, maybe you, did, you didn't see any of my social media posts or you weren't part of my Instagram um, week-long video series last week where I broke down several different postures into their associated cues. 
all of that was a lead up to a free workshop I did on Saturday, and it was all around effective queuing. And in the context of doing that workshop, there were a couple of questions that came up, things that teachers, you know, very actually very often bring up to me. And I wanted to bring these topics to, uh, to the podcast because I find that, again, there are things that come up a lot. And I don't, I don't know, I, I think I tend to think about these things somewhat differently uh, than kind of the normal flow of how um, uh, teachers approach these kinds of things. And I'm not sure exactly why that is. I mean, I think uh, some of it has to do with the fact that I've really, you know, taken such a deep dive into anatomy that I tend to see things through that lens a lot. And at the same time, I try to kind of keep other channels open as well. I do tarot card readings and I read about chakras and I try to kind of have a balanced approach. However, I definitely have a leaning more towards anatomy. And I also have a really inquisitive mind and I'm always asking why, why are people doing it that way? Or why is the approach this way? And I think sometimes in the training uh, that yoga teachers get, um, the teachers in the training often defer to whoever is teaching. And that can lead to a mindset where people are just tending to just kind of accept what they're being told. And some of this has really been part of um, an approach to teaching that's been out there for a really long time. And again, I want to preface this by saying my way is not the right way. And I actually don't think there is a right way for a lot of these things that I'm going to be covering today. However, I think that it can be healthy to look at things from a different perspective. And that's all I'm offering you here is a different way of looking at things. So I'm just going to look down at my notes, which of course, before I was recording myself on YouTube, you guys couldn't see, but now, but now you can. So, um, oh, one thing I do want to say about the workshop I did over the weekend on cues. First of all, um, I completely revamped. This is uh, one of the workshops that I do quite frequently because the topic of cues is so popular for yoga teachers. They wanna know more about how to cue and um, the why behind the cue and how to give anatomically based cueing correctly. So this is absolutely a topic that I get asked about a lot. And that's why I focused all last week on breaking down separate postures into their associated cues. And that all was a lead up to the workshop I did on Saturday. Now, if for whatever reason you missed that workshop, I wanna offer you an opportunity to watch it on the replay. So here's what you need to do in order to get that. You need to email me at karen at barebonesyoga.com and that will be um, how I send you the replay, okay? So uh, I wanted to mention that in case you missed, missed that workshop. All right, so here are just some general themes. These are questions that I get, you know, over time, I get them pretty frequently. And these are some things that came up in some of the back and forth conversation I was having, not only after the workshop, but um, just things that have come up during the week. So question number one, or thought number one, pigeon versus figure four. Okay, so this is this idea of teaching figure four as 
an alternative to teaching pigeon, half pigeon. So let me kind of set up the scenario for you. Imagine your um, let's let's put yourself put yourself right now in the shoes of a student. So imagine you are a student, you are taking class, and it gets to the point in the practice, most typically towards the end of the practice, where the teacher suggests pigeon pose. And then in the context of suggesting pigeon pose, the teacher says, if you would like to do something instead, you can come onto your back and do figure four. Now, raise your hand if you've heard this, <laughs> or raise your other hand if you've taught this, right? So what I want to um, suggest, or what I wanna kind of ask you about is the following. Do you think that half pigeon and figure four are reasonable alternatives? Or let me phrase it another way. Do you think that figure four is a reasonable alternative for pigeon, half pigeon? And if so, why? Because again, the way this has been kind of presented for years is just as I stated it. Either the teacher says, if you'd like to do figure four instead of half pigeon, go ahead and do it. So it's just out there as a, as a suggestion, making the implication that the two poses are similar, if not even the same. Or how many times have you taught a class and when you get to the point where you offer pigeon, a handful of people immediately flip onto their back and do figure four without, you know, any waving you over to say, is there something else I should do or without, and I'm not saying they need permission. I'm just saying this has become kind of a common trend that people just do it. So what I want to um, bring up about this is the following. Figure four is not the same thing as half pigeon. And the only way you're gonna know that is if you understand anatomy, right? And this is the way we can analyze any posture or any sequence. We have to start from what we know and what we know um, through the lens of anatomy, because let's face it, as I said at the beginning, there's many different ways that we can view postures and sequences and create sequences. We can view it through the energetic lens, we can view it through the anatomical lens, we can view it through the functional movement lens, we can view it through the exercise science lens. However, if we want to get to the why behind cues, if we want to get to why this pose over that pose, we've got to look at it through the lens of anatomy because it is a movement practice. That is the fundamental piece of the practice. So regardless of other things you might be focusing on. So let's take a look at it. So when someone comes into half pigeon, and I obviously can't demo it for you now because I'm sitting at my desk, but I think you probably have an idea of half pigeon pose, right? You have the one leg bent and you have the other leg straight out behind you. So in that posture, the bent front leg, the hip is in flexion and external rotation and the knee is in flexion. And in the back leg, the back hip is an extension. When you come onto your back and do the alternative, the um, figure four, now you have both hips in flexion and you have one hip in external rotation. So right out of the gate, you're losing the back hip and extension. That's not something that is part of the pose. Now, is that an awful thing? No, but it's pretty important to recognize as a yoga teacher that you're presenting an alternative posture that doesn't have the same anatomical movements. Okay, so that's number one. And if that is kind of news to you, I want you to just not worry about that right now. 
However, I want you to note that you were not aware of that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just saying it's something that you should know about your own ability around having anatomy knowledge so that you can fundamentally look at a posture and make a good assessment about what the posture's doing for the student. Um, so let's take a look at why students oftentimes do this. Now, quite frankly, I would love to ask students when they flip on their backs right away when I offer half pigeon. I'd love to go around to all those students and say, why are you doing this? And not in a attacking way, just to kind of say, hey, I'm wondering why you're taking this alternative posture versus half pigeon. Now, I don't do that, of course, because I want people to have the freedom to do whatever they want in class. However, I think it's a healthy question to ask, and I think it could lead to a lot of really good conversation with students around what they know, and quite frankly, what they've been kind of led to believe by all these teachers who are out there saying, do this instead of that. My assumption, and this is again an assumption, and some of this is based on conversation I've had with students, so I don't want to let you think that I haven't had any conversations with students. My assessment is that some students feel like there's going to be some damage to their knee or problems with their knee, or they have a history of knee problems, they feel like it's pressure on their knee if they're doing this, um, the prone version where their belly is facing the floor. And I would much rather work with that concern in the context of helping the person modify regular half pigeon than having them go all the way on their back and do something completely different. And there are many ways that you can suggest modification. So let's kind of take a look at it from an anatomical perspective. The knee definitely likes to move in the flexion and extension kind of sagittal plane much more than moving in this, in this uh, uh, lateral plane here where it's moving lat medially or laterally. And the only reason it can do that is because it's a bit of a hybrid joint. It's not just a hinge allowing it to flex and extend. It's also a bit of a pivot joint. So that's what allows the knee to allow your tibia and fibula to move in, inward medially or outward laterally. And so if we didn't have that ability anatomic movement wise, we wouldn't be able to do half pigeon either on the back or in the figure uh, in the on the back in the figure four version or facing the floor in the kind of typical version. But we do have that ability. Um, now, having said that, if you come into half pigeon and you're using your knee as leverage, it's definitely going to create some long-term issues for your knee if that's constantly how you're coming into it. Much better, and this is really important for teachers to do, much better to teach students to do the external rotation from the hip and the knee will follow along because the knee is further down the kinetic chain than the hip is. So if you're opening your hip, your knee is then going to open with a little more ease versus if you come down to the mat and place your shin down and use that as a leverage point to create the external rotation of the hip. That will not work. That is not a healthy way to uh, come into that posture and it can absolutely create some damage to the knee. So having said that, we wanna be sure that as teachers, 
especially if someone has concerns about the knee, that they basically come into it understanding that the hip is the leveraging point for the external rotation. Now, the other thing you could do is in half pigeon, you could have someone lean over to their side a little bit, which takes some of the pressure off the knee. You could also have them pull that front heel in significantly. And that's another way to decrease some of that pressure. So there's definitely different ways you could use blankets. You know, I'm not a big fan of using blocks in half pigeon because I feel like the shape of the block is definitely not conducive to a restorative pose. Um, I would much rather have people put a blanket under their hip or under their knee. So the point is there's plenty of ways that we can modify this posture so that people can approach it in, um, in kind of the typical way we're offering it. And this is one of those things where I feel like so many teachers are just out there kind of teaching figure four as an alternative because that's what they see other people do when they just kind of assume, well, that's the way it should be done. And that's not the case at all. Um, you know, this, what I'm presenting to you here is a very doable, safe, reasonable um, way to give people ways to modify half pigeon. So that's topic number one. Topic number two that I wanted to um, address is this idea of, and this is something that came up over the weekend as I was having lots of really good conversations with teachers, this idea of asking students before class if anybody has any injuries or putting people into child's pose and saying kind of out to the class, if anyone has any injuries, please raise your hand. And you know, the idea being if they're in child's pose, no one can see the people who are raising their hands as if having an injury is something that we want to hide from other people. I don't know. I, I, you know, again, a lot of these things, I don't know the genesis of them. I wasn't there when they were started. It's just that I, I see them, I see these techniques used and I just kind of scratch my head. I'm like, what, why are we doing this? So let's kind of think about this. Number one, um, asking people if they have injuries is a compassionate, lovely, warm, caring way to, um, to to show your to show up as a teacher right we we see people it shows them that we see them it shows them that we you know kind of recognize that they may be in our class working with different injuries and so i think that is absolutely something that's to be commended however i think we need to look at it from the perspective of is it really helpful to ask the question because ultimately there are lots of ways we can show that we're a caring teacher um, what really ends up happening when we ask that question, let's take the two approaches. Let's take the approach of you gather your students into class and before you begin, everybody is possibly seated on their mat and you say, hi, um, you know, my name is Karen. It's so great to see you all. We're gonna do a, a, a one hour sequence today focused on general movement. I wanna start out by asking if anybody has any injuries. Okay, so now I've put it out there. So now what happens? So one person might raise their hand and say, yeah, I'm dealing with the shoulder injury right now. So now what am I supposed to do, right? All I know is whatever the person says. So is it the kind of thing where I can have any meaningful conversation with that student? Not really, because there are a whole bunch of other people around. I don't wanna take up their time. I'm there to teach a class, not do a one-on-one. -on -one. You know, maybe in the moment I could say, all right, well, if you're having a shoulder injury, as you're moving on the mat, if you notice any discomfort that's significant, I want you to just come in the child's pose. You know, that's a doable thing I could say. Let's say someone else says, um, oh, I have a lower back injury and it's 
<clears throat> really difficult for me to touch my toes. Okay, so to me as a yoga teacher, that's a huge red flag because I know <clears throat> I'm going to be going into this class teaching a number of sun salutations where there absolutely is a lot of standing up and bending down. This person now has said to me, they have a problem folding forward. So this is a red flag. So now I'm kind of put in a position where I might want to have a pretty significant one-off conversation with this person to give them pretty significant things that they could do to modify the practice I'm meant to teach. Or I'm in a position where now all of a sudden I know about this. So now I'm in my head thinking, should I completely modify the sequence I was planning on teaching? I think you can see where this is going. So I'm going to suggest something right here. Number one, it really doesn't make sense for me to you to for you to ask that question prior to teaching. Number two, if students have significant injuries or anything that they think is going to get in the way of them practicing, it's really something that they should approach you about before they go in to take the class. That's their responsibility. It's not that I'm suggesting you shirk your responsibility as a yoga teacher. However, I want you to recognize that someone coming to take a yoga class and you teaching a yoga class is a, is both parties meeting in the middle there, right? It's not for you to pull out from people. Do they have any injuries? They are coming of their own free will. They are coming aware that they are going to do a movement-based practice. And if they have something significant, they'll tell you about it. Number three, if you are teaching and someone has something going on in their body, an injury they knew about or an injury they didn't know about, or just some funny feeling of discomfort that prevents them from doing whatever you're offering, most of the time their nervous system is designed to protect them and will prevent them from doing it. They'll stop folding forward. They'll not do that pose. They'll flip on their back and do figure four instead of half pigeon, right? They're going to do what they need to do for the most part to keep themselves safe and comfortable. And number four, I don't know, I, I've kind of run out of things, but I mean, I think you get the point. I think that the idea is based in good intention and based in wanting to be helpful. However, it's much more meaningful to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with students about injuries. And that's really how you're going to get, um, not only get the right information in the right scenario, meaning one-on-one -on -one versus with a group. And that's how you're gonna be able to really give meaningful feedback to somebody if they have an injury and they wanna take your class. Now, is everybody going to be um, you know, taking charge of their health to the point where they tell you if they have an injury before class? No, but that doesn't mean that you're completely off the hook. That means that it's even more important that you understand anatomy, that you have a structure for providing cues that is really highly understandable for people, and that you know what you're doing when you build sequences. Because let's face it, the best way for you to decrease risk for your students, and that's all students, those that have injuries and those that do not, is for you to teach sequences that have a high degree of accessibility. As soon as you teach sequences that go down in accessibility and up in complexity, and by complexity, I mean sequences that require a lot of range of motion, especially in parts of the body that typically don't have high degrees of range of motion, the risk goes up. And so rather than going and asking your students all these questions about the injuries they have, you would be much better served and they would be better served by you if you would learn anatomy, learn effective cueing techniques, and 
articulate the cues in such a way that the accessibility goes up and the understandability of your cues goes way up because that's the best way to decrease risk. So that's kind of that topic there. So I have one more thing to go over before we're going to go into the um, the audio of the interview I did with with Rose. So the next or this last thing is this idea of when we're teaching postures that tend to be more in the restorative category. So things like again, things like half pigeon or anything maybe towards the end of the practice, although this could really apply throughout the practice to to any pose you're teaching where you are suggesting how students should feel. So this might sound something like, okay, let's come into downward facing dog here. I want you to press away from the mat and uh, uh, straighten your legs. As you press away from the mat, you should be feeling stretch in your hamstrings because your hamstrings are lengthening here. So that's an example of me teaching in a way where I'm cueing such that I'm literally saying you should be feeling this. Now, I might say, if someone questioned me about this approach, I might say, well, the hamstrings are stretching in downward dog. So that's why I'm saying that. And I bet maybe you're even thinking that. So what I'm here to suggest, and again, this is all not me saying I'm right and you're wrong or somebody else is wrong. It's just another way to think about it. What I'm here to suggest is, and this kind of is based in exercise science, this piece is based in exercise science. Just because, let's take downward dog, just because in downward dog, the hamstrings are set up in such a way to lengthen, it does not mean the person's sensation is that they are stretching. So what does stretch mean to you? What does stretch mean to me? It could mean two very different things at the somatic level. However, you could look at the both of us in poses and you could identify these muscles are lengthening and these muscles are concentrically contracting, but it doesn't change how it feels to me. So what that means is as a teacher, if we are constantly shaping our cues around what people should be feeling and articulating that with the cue as part of the cue for that pose. It can really put students up in their head if they don't feel that. You know, one of the most common statements I get from students in Half Pigeon is, what should I be feeling here? And I think that that's a perfect example of students who have over the years been indoctrinated into this this kind of mode that they need to be questioning outside themselves to find out how they should be feeling when having sensation in the body is a very um, intrinsic ability that we all are born with. And outside of something in terms of a, a central nervous system, you know, uh, injury or, or, or disease or chronic illness, something along those lines, people have the ability to feel. But what often happens is they defer to the yoga teacher, tell me what I should be feeling here. And you know, part of the approach when students ask me that, let's say for half pigeon, my approach is never to say, oh, well, you should be feeling some stretch in your uh, hip flexor on this side because your leg is straight and you should be feeling some stretch in your glute max on this bent knee side because the glute max here is stretching, you know, because your hip's not an extension. I would never say that. What I basically do is I use the template 
of what are the anatomical positionings or what what anatomical movements are happening in pigeon in half pigeon what muscles are doing what so we're kind of starting with the facts right um and then i say to them you know so let's take the bent leg side of half pigeon here your hip isn't an extension your hips in flexion your glute max is the muscle of hip extension but because you're in flexion that means it's stretching what does it feel like to you though does it feel do you feel length the person might say oh it feels like there's resistance there like i just it feels like a, a tightness well that may be because you're in hip flexion glute max is lengthening but maybe it's a bit tight and so that's why you're getting that feedback of somewhat resistance so this is a perfect example of how you can kind of use just the the facts, and I, I use facts kind of loosely here. I mean, it is a fact that hips inflection, so glute max should be lengthening. Um, but you can use that as the basis for conversation with your student and at the same time be informing them about what's going on in the body. So it's a really great way to open the door to some really meaningful conversation and give people information that they will never ever forget about that pose that you're breaking down with them. So I hope this has been helpful for you. This has actually been kind of cool for me to be doing it in doing the podcast in this visual way. So again, if you are listening to this on um, a podcasting platform uh, and you want to also take some time and watch it on YouTube, you can see me gesticulating wildly and, you know, some of the things now where I had been just relegated to just describing them uh, through the audio, now I'll have the freedom to also do it uh, in the video too. So you'll have two ways to do it, uh, to consume the information. And then um, also, I would love to hear any questions you have. This will be much easier for you all to post questions and comments and things like that. So let's do this. I want to, number one, remind you, especially because I brought up a lot of things about cues today, that if you want the recording, of the workshop I did over the weekend, you need to send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com, or if it's easier, you can just DM me on Instagram. Barebonesyoga is my handle there. Uh, so let me just give you kind of a quick lead into the audio that we're gonna go to next. And this will be an actual audio, there won't be any video for it. So one of the teachers in my Blueprint Learning Program, which is my signature program where I teach teachers anatomy so they can learn how to cue, they can learn how to build sequences, and they can learn how to answer students' questions with ease and with confidence. One of the students in that program, her name is Rose Speck. And Rose um, responded to an inquiry I put out a couple weeks ago saying on social media saying, I want to hear from uh, a teacher in terms of how their teaching has changed due to the pandemic. And I was looking for, you know, just feedback from a teacher on different things that they were doing in response to certain opportunities not being available to them because studios had been shut down because of the pandemic, uh, or other things that they were doing, other business opportunities they were pursuing, or maybe how they had changed you know, their approach to teaching since they were doing potentially a lot more teaching online, just things like that. And Rose raised her virtual hand, which I'm so grateful for. And she, you know, stepped up and said, I'd be happy to give you some thoughts of what's happening in my life. And so I interviewed her, um, not last week, I believe the week before, and I've been holding on to the audio for the perfect time to release it. And that's today. And I think you're really going to be inspired by Rose because she really has done a lot of creative things over the past several 
several months and she's really kind of carving her own path. And this is one of the wonderful things about yoga teaching is we can do that. We have the freedom to do that. However, many yoga teachers get stuck. They get afraid to make that phone call. They get afraid to do that kind of reaching out to a business. And Rose is not that person. Rose is just carving her own path. And as a result, things are rising up to greet her. And this is one of the most beautiful things that I found from listening to her talk, you know, so confidently and clearly about what she's doing. And I really think you're going to be inspired too. So I'm going to close this video now. <clears throat> We're going to go to that audio that is just Rose, just um, my interview with her. So again, email me, DM me for the uh, cues. Um, presentation I did over the weekend. I want to thank you for watching this first YouTube podcast uh, version. And if you're listening in your car, on your walk, whatever, wherever you're listening, thank you so much for listening as well. I'll be back next week with a new episode. And for right now, I want you to really sit back and enjoy uh, this interview with Rose. Thank you so much for watching. Namaste. Hi, everybody. So welcome to this little uh, kind of quick podcast interview that I've been telling you about. I want to welcome one of the teachers in my learning program, Rose Speak, to the podcast. Hi, Rose. Hi, Darren. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Rose, can you tell our listeners where you're uh, dialing in from? I am from Maryland on the eastern shore of Maryland, beautiful Chesapeake Bay. Awesome. It sounds Sounds idyllic. <laughs> in, in the summer, yes. Not right now, but yeah. yes. Yes, agree. Um, so I was sharing with, um, on my Instagram about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago, that I wanted to hear from teachers to get a sense of how their teaching had been affected at this point in the pandemic, really from any perspective. And you were really nice enough to kind of raise your hand and say, hey, I'm willing to kind of share my thoughts on that. So I jotted down a couple of questions that I shared with you, and I'm just kind of going to go through those questions. And I would love to hear from you any thoughts you have on any of these topics. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, perfect. So I think what would be helpful for people first is to get just a little kind of background in terms of your teaching, your teaching kind of how you ended up teaching yoga, your experience, your training, anything along those lines, just to kind of set the stage. Well, I started out a um, uh, hundred years ago as an aerobics instructor, kickboxing aerobics instructor. And I did that um, probably my late teens, all through my twenties and into, into my thirties. And then I took a yoga class yeah. um, and, and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, wow, I could incorporate some of those moves into some of my kickboxing or my step aerobics classes. But I found that I wanted to learn more and wanted to learn more. And it was it was funny. The thing that spurred me on was actually the death of my mother. Wow. Uh, and I and it was like, OK, well, I, I I need something. So I went to I found a yoga workshop, a weekend workshop, and and I decided yes, I, I really want to learn uh, this. I really want to learn how to teach this and what this is all about. I, I still love the, the high energy, the aerobics and all of that. It's wonderful. But this is, a, this is another avenue for me to, to discover. And I, I just, I got a, um, 
weekend certification. And then I took a couple of workshops over the next couple of years. And I, uh, at the gym where I was teaching the, um, the aerobics, uh, I started incorporating some yoga classes. And then I um, uh, reached out to um, a local senior center and I started teaching there. I did a lot of uh, teaching for about two or three years with some seniors. And that was really, that was a really good experience. Um, I taught in a couple of local studios, um, classes here and there, and I was working part-time. I was raising my children at the time, so I was not working full-time. And then, um, uh, my children, lo and behold, my children got bigger and they grew up and then I had to go back to work full-time. So I kind I stopped teaching at uh, probably around 2011, 2012, I had a career change and I just, I just got out of teaching and um, still practiced on my own, still attended classes, but didn't teach. And then I, um, sorry, I, um, I uh, started uh, thinking about taking the 200 hours, which was something always on my mind. And I found a um, 200 hour course at one of the studios where I take, took classes and I always enjoyed the space there. And I thought, wow, this must mean something that this, this, this ad popped up that they're doing 200 hours at one of my favorite studios. And so that was September of 2019. And we of course got interrupted by COVID, but then we finished, all of us finished, um, there were about eight of us. We all finished, um, in, um, uh, August of 2020, finally, I got my, my 200 hours and did my certification through Yoga Alliance and all of that. So mm-hmm. that's my that's a lot of my background. Yeah, and it's so great that you had like really substantial teaching experience before you took the 200 hour based off your existing experience as a fitness instructor and then some of the, you know, kind of one-off trainings that you took as a yoga teacher or for yoga teaching. A lot of a lot of self study, a lot of books, looking yeah. up books, and um, yeah. But yeah, the two hundred hours was was my ultimate goal, and I'm glad I finally did it. So that's great. That's great. So can you share a little bit about what you're doing now in terms of teaching? I know everybody has a really different kind of look and feel to what they're doing. What does it look like now for you? Um, for me, I'm actually. Um, doing some teaching at my office because I, I work full time and I do my yoga um, business on the side. Um, and I'm so I'm starting classes weekly for the staff in my office. I'm, I'm going to do an early morning session for 30 minutes. So we'll see Great. how that goes. I'm going to do that uh, once a week. So that's starting next week. And you guys um, are going into your office? Meaning it's in person, Karen, the, the, the audio it's in person. Yes. Yes. We have a big, we have a big waiting room. I work in a, I work in a surgeon's office. We have a big waiting room and nobody's in there anymore because everything is telemedicine. So, um, we're going to spread out. I don't think there's going to be that many, um, but we're going to spread out and, um, we'll see what happens. It's just, I thought, why not? Why not offer it? There were a couple of women who specifically asked me. So absolutely. That's great. That's great. So did you feel like when COVID began, like I can say from my own experience quickly, both studios that I've taught for initially shut down because 
everything shut down. But then within three months, they closed permanently. So I really needed to rethink how was I going to teach, you know, kind of in that moment. And then that moment turned into several months. And here we are now. So I've made a couple of changes because my two studios I taught at basically are no longer. What about for yourself? Had you been teaching somewhere and and lost an opportunity because of the pandemic shutdown or were you just getting ready to begin to look for new opportunities? I, um, I was getting ready. I was I was looking for new opportunities and it was during COVID that we were doing our training. So I knew Oh. Uh, I knew in the back of my mind that um, I was not going to pursue studio teaching. Um, I was not going to go that route because of what was happening. There were um, uh, um, opportunities for me to, I taught a couple of classes at the local gym and I did that, but I thought I need to find um, a new avenue. So I'm actually working on um uh, a partnership with the local uh, Parks and Recreation Department. Hopefully I'll start some outdoor classes in April. Nice. And um, I have some, uh, some um, hopefully some, some classes at a local gymnastics studio. I've been talking with um, some businesses. I think the way that I'm going to do it is outdoors and then partner with other businesses that want to host classes. Yeah. So the gym, gymnastics studio. There's also the funniest thing is I've been in touch back and forth with a local brewery of all oh, places. Then wow. they have this huge um, tented space and they've been talking about hosting yoga classes, which I think is very, very sure. funny. So. <laughs> sure. So. sure. so I really love, it sounds like you're taking so much initiative and you're really going kind of sort of outside the lines, not exactly, but you know, where you made the distinction between, you know, you didn't want to teach in a studio. So you've been open-minded about creating opportunity. I, oh, I love that. And I have done similar things over the years and it can be so rewarding because now you're really going in as the expert versus teaching for a studio where many times or all the time, you're one of many teachers and it's kind of a different dynamic. Can you just share for someone listening who's really afraid to take the initiative that you've taken. Could you kind of speak to that person if they're somewhat hesitant and share anything that you think might motivate them or might support them to do similar things to you? I think you just have to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm always um, leery of going outside my comfort zone, but the older I get, the less that that holds me back because what's the worst that can happen? People can right, say right. no. People are right, going right. to say no anyway. So that's, right. that's kind of what I, I, I advise. Just, just take a chance. It's what, what's the worst thing that can happen? That's, that's really great. So tell us a little bit about now that you've completed your 200 hour program. And for people who don't know about my blueprint learning program, they don't, they won't really recognize the kind of the wording of it, the, the name of the program. So can you just share a little bit about how you decided to kind of continue your education in anatomy specifically and what spurred you on to do that? I was, I've always been interested in anatomy. I actually thought about going to nursing school at oh. one point and just fitness and health 
um, have always been a part of, of my life. It's, it's, it's just something I've always been interested in. Um, so anatomy made so much sense to me when I was, at, uh, because it, I needed, I needed to make sure that I understood what I was teaching. And honestly, like many teachers, you just kind of, uh, say what you think you're supposed to say about a certain pose and yeah. not really knowing, as you say, Karen, the why, right. the why behind it. And that, that was really important to me. And I knew that I wasn't going to learn anatomy like an orthopedic surgeon. I wasn't right. going to be a physical therapist. I just needed to know why do we do this? And what are these muscles? Because it was an interest for me personally and as a yoga instructor. So that was, I, I, it was, it's always been an interest. I've had anatomy books for years and it's just, I, I like to look at the pictures and figure out what I'm, what this muscle is and what that bone is. So it's, it was, yeah. it was just a, it was just a natural progression for me. Yeah. And that idea of understanding the anatomy rationale or the why behind the cue, what does knowing that help you do as a teacher that if you didn't have that information and you were simply repeating cues, you know, what does it do for you as a teacher? Like for someone who's listening, that's on the fence and they're like, yeah, I can just kind of keep repeating these things. Can you share what shifts for you as a teacher when you can really connect it to an inner knowing? Confident. You feel like a you're not you're not just a, a stereotypical yoga teacher. You feel right. you're very you're more confident. I mean, yeah. there's there's a knowledge base that is gonna is gonna make you feel confident, make you a better teacher. Um, and you know, it's okay to say I don't know. Sure. There's gonna be so much I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a physical therapist. I'm right. not an orthopedic person. So I'm going to say, I don't know, but there's always a way to find out. So Absolutely. just be, just, just to be honest, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have one more question for you in this little like mini podcast episode or mini snippet of, of conversation. Um, if someone's out there and they're really feeling at this stage of the game, really deflated, you know, maybe they've invested in a 200 hour program, you know, especially because you are a very positive person, which I know from our ongoing interactions uh, through my program and just everything that you're talking about that you're taking initiative is, is really a demonstration of, you know, kind of despite what is happening, you are positive and moving forward. If there are teachers out there listening who are feeling stuck and who are feeling, you know, just really deflated, I know you had mentioned, you know, kind of this idea of like just try it, just move forward. Is there anything else kind of in your, you know, personal repertoire of, of, you know, behaviors and habits, especially as it relates to yoga teaching, um, or even just mindset that you think might be helpful for someone to know? The, one of the things that helps me a lot is practicing. I mean, and, and even if I can't get into a studio and I don't particularly enjoy the Zoom classes. Right. So YouTube, there's all these subscriptions I have on YouTube of all these yoga teachers. And I yeah. try to do, even if it's 10 minutes in the morning before I get ready and go to work, 
just practice because that I found you're still learning. You're, you're practicing, but you're learning and you're building your confidence at the same time. Don't stop practicing. Um, that's, that would, that helps me a lot. If I just find a YouTube video and do a, do a class, I feel so much better. That's great. That's great. And that's really kind of like a self-care habit and technique that really does seem to make everything better in terms of how you look at everything, doesn't it? Yes, because you can, and also when you're doing a class as a student, and then maybe when you're finished, you think about it as a teacher, like, oh, I could add that in my sequencing. That was right. really nice, or whatever it is, just 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 makes you happy. Right, I totally agree. Um, well, I can't wait to connect with you over the next several months and kind of see how all these little seeds are sprouting that you're planting all over the area where you live and, you know, all these unique things. I, I just think it's going to be so cool to, to hear about how all those things start to grow from the seeds that you're planting. So thank you so much for sharing this and just taking a few minutes here to respond to my inquiry and to share this information, because again, I think it is relevant and timely and it's you know always helpful to kind of when you're in a particular scenario to hear relevant and timely information about hey here are some things you could do so i really appreciate you sharing your your experiences it was a pleasure thank you absolutely all right well i'll let you know when this posts over the next week or so okay great thank you karen all right take care rose bye-bye bye-bye Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.